Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Thursday, January 5th. We are here live. We've got a special guest joining us today. It's going to be a tax show today. We're going to open the phone lines. We are looking for calls and questions, so line them up. 855-950-3835. We're welcoming back Travis Adamson. He's our tax preparer and accountant. We're going to talk about taxes, most importantly, how to pay less tax. We're going to answer a lot of questions. So last time we had Travis on, the phone lines were slammed. We couldn't get to all the calls, so we brought him back for part two. We're creating a little mini series on taxes. So we're going to open the phone lines right now. Go ahead and start dialing. You're going to want to get in early. If you have any question at all about taxes, accounting, uh, we can talk about retirement accounts and how those affect taxes. Whatever's on your mind, pick up the phone and join us. 855-950-3835. We're just going to jump right in and get to it today. I'm going to bring Travis in. Travis, good morning. Welcome back and Happy New Year. Thank you, Kevin. Glad to be with you again. Great to have you here. You know, last show we we kind of got into the weeds on, you know, specific deductions or strategies that could really save people a lot of money. We talked about S-Corp. We talked about, you know, specific deductions, personal vehicle miles, paying your children. You know, I I always get a lot of questions and follow-up when we do shows like this, and people want all the details. And, you know, if you and I were to take a topic like the S-Corp, we could probably spend a couple hours on that one topic, no questions, you and I just talking about mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. and we still wouldn't cover all the possibilities, right? That's right. And not only that, it's, it's difficult to tailor your answer to any one situation because general rule doesn't always apply. Yeah, and, and, and you don't always know what little anomaly might be in their tax situation that would change all the answers. So, you know, we try to keep the advice on taxes pretty high level, not not get so deep into the weeds. We're not trying to teach you how to do your own tax return here, but we're trying to make sure you're aware of what kind of things you should be looking for, talking to your tax preparer about. So we're going to continue that today. We may talk specific about some of those things. Um, I I had an idea, though. What if uh, one of my favorite books, I read it 30 years ago when it came out, one of my most recommended books, The Seven Habits. I just love that book. And I started this thing a while back where when I have a project or a problem or some sort of an issue I'm looking at, I'll take and apply The Seven Habits. And I was working on our show this morning. And I thought, well, what if I applied the seven habits to getting your tax return done? So what do you think? Have you read that book, by the way? I have not. I've heard a lot about it and I have not read it. It's it's just, it's a really, really good book. It's been around forever. It's a classic now. So, and I'm not going to get deep into the weeds, but I just want to go through kind of the seven habits and how they would apply here. Um, I'm pretty sure you're going to definitely agree with the first one. So what's our goal here? Why do we even talk about taxes? Why do we do shows like this? Well, 
this is actually one of the areas where the goal is pretty simple. I think for most of us, I really, I think for all of us, the goal when we talk about taxes is how can we pay less? Uh, have you ever talked to anybody that has much more of a strategy or a goal when it comes to taxes? We just want to pay less, right? I think once you get into business, right, you start to look at taxes. And if you start to combine the payroll taxes, income taxes, fuel taxes, sales taxes, all the taxes together that you're paying, it quickly adds up to be one of your top, if not probably the top uh, expense line item. And so just like any other uh, large expense, it, it, it requires attention. Which is the first habit we're going to apply to this. And this is the most important by far. This is the one everybody skips. And, you know, the people who are listening to us that are in business, the owner operators, the small fleets, if you ignore this, it will cost you thousands of dollars. I it just, you know, that I'm glad we're doing this show right now. This is perfect timing. You need to be working on this today. This should be your number one priority right now. But Habit number one is be proactive. Isn't this a really big one when it comes to accounting and taxes? Travis, how many of your clients, if, if they would just be more proactive around this issue, get a little more involved, it would make a huge difference? Huge difference, I agree. I, my, I think about my favorite clients to work with, and typically... It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with the industry they're in necessarily or, uh, or too many other things. What I love is when we build the strategy together and then the next time I see them, they've implemented what we've, what we've talked about and they've taken the initiative to get it done and take it seriously. That's when it becomes fun and when you can really affect some change. Absolutely. So that's, that's the point here. Be proactive. The, the typical, look, I've dealt with this my whole life. I've been self-employed since I was 16. Taxes are a pain. We don't like the process. We don't like writing that big check. But the typical business owner ignores taxes all year, um, puts it off, files an extension, and, and I'm guilty of this myself, and waits till the last minute and then rushes in and gets everything done and hopes for the best. Um, that's just not the best way to do this. It, it, even if you're going to do that, file extensions and put things off and wait till the last minute, at least be proactive in the beginning. Sit down with your tax preparer, go through your scenario, go through what might possibly help, set it all up, and then you can kind of forget about it, but not completely. I mean, this isn't something that needs your attention every week or every month, but a couple times a year. You know, I would say uh, twice a year, you know, get with your tax preparer. In person would be nice. Take them to lunch, take them for coffee. If not, you know, you can do this on, you know, a phone or a conference call, but at least twice a year. Yeah, right now, obviously, because you're getting prepared for taxes, but get in early. You know, don't wait till mid-March or early April. Start talking to your tax preparer right now. Get everything organized. And when your final documents come in, you're the first tax return out the door. Um, you know, you, I, I, we did a lot of taxes. I've done a lot of taxes myself over the years. I'm really happy I don't do them anymore. But, you know, if we're honest as tax preparers, that 
that tax prepare that tax work you're doing in April isn't getting the same attention as the tax work you were doing in February, right? Probably true. Uh, you know, I can't deny that. You know, when you're working late nights, when you're you know got a big stack of work facing you and a big deadline, yeah, it's tough to you know to give it the same amount of attention. I would say, you know, pre-year end is is the best time to be, be proactive. There you right? go. Uh, the the filing season is what it is. I mean, the the IRS allows you up until October 15th on an extended basis to file your federal tax return. And there's no problem with taking advantage of that timing. Uh, it's it, But you do need to know what you're looking at so, so that you can make the proper decisions ahead of time. You don't want to always be behind when it comes to decision-making. Filing is kind of neither here nor there. You can... You can file on an extended basis, and, and I don't mind filing extensions for clients, but it scares me when we file an extension with no idea what we're going to be filing. Yeah, good point. Good point. So be proactive. That's number one. I completely agree with Travis. It would have been nice doing this when we talked about it. We had our last tax show before the year was over with, but be proactive right now. Get in, do it, do it this week. This is great time. If you get with your tax preparer right now, get last year's together, talk to them about strategies. You're also going to have plenty of time to start planning this tax season and becoming more proactive so that you're able to make those decisions while it still matters. Um, You know, I'm going to go through the seven habits here. Begin with the end in mind. This is one of my favorite things about the seven habits. Always think when you're starting a project or working on something important, what is the end result we want? The great thing about taxes is it's really simple. I already said this. We really only want one thing. We want to pay less tax. So this is an easy one. We want to pay less tax. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, we're going to use some of the other seven rules to, to talk about that one. Obviously, be proactive. That's the first thing you've got to do. Three, put first things first. Um, how many of your, and, and let's, you do a lot of owner operators and, and drivers. I, I am still shocked. The, the very first seminar I ever did in this industry 20 plus years ago, I asked a question at the beginning of the seminar. And, and I'm pretty sure almost every time I've gotten up on stage since then, I asked this question at some point. How many owner operators in the room have a true accounting system where at least you know every month what's coming in, what's being spent, where it's going? The first time I asked that question almost 30 years ago, it was about 5% of the room. And I I kept saying, come on, raise your hand. It's got to be more. And it wasn't. To this day, it still isn't much more than that. 5 or 10% at best. So put first things first. Travis, couldn't you look at a lot of your clients and say, if you had a good accounting system, you would probably pay a lot less tax? Oh, yeah. I mean, you think about the value of each deduction or each credit. And then in the aggregate, if you were to just uh, just, just like anything else, put it off to the last minute. And now you're scrambling to find all of your deductions and, and all of your expenditures throughout the year related to your business. 
anything you miss is going to cost you probably in the 20 to 30% range or more. And if you miss just, just $5,000 worth, I mean, you're starting to talk real money. Absolutely. So put first things first in context here means you have to have a good accounting system all year long. Travis, your point about the filing season is correct. By the time we're at the filing season, it's too late to do much of anything. There are a couple things we can do, but not much. If you've waited all year and now you're going to try to get your accounting together all at once, you're going to miss things, you're going to make mistakes, and it's going to cost you money. So put first things first means get a good accounting system and do it all year long. Don't don't scramble on this. Four, I, I like think win-win. Right. You know, I, I we talk a lot about negotiating and, you know, being a good negotiator in business and, you know, negotiation and haggling, two very different things. You know, when I, I think of negotiation, it's not, I'm going to try to get everything out of this deal I can. Um, that's haggling. Negotiation, thinking win-win means who's involved in this whole process and how do we make this good for everybody? So here, here's my example of this. In the way most people handle their taxes, it's definitely a win-lose, and they're going to lose and the government's going to win. They're going to pay more tax than they should because they don't do these, these seven things we're going to talk about. They aren't proactive. They don't build relationships. And the only winner in that scenario is the government. The government's going to get more of their money than they should. When I think about win-win... You know, let's think about what we're doing here on this show. Um, our listeners want to pay less tax. That's the goal. You have the, the knowledge and the skill and the ability to help them do that. This now becomes a win-win-win for all of us. We're bringing good content to our listeners. We're going to save them money. They'll pay less tax. You have a business to run. So the three of us now as entities, we can all win here by getting together and learning this and talking about it. And the only loser now is the government. And I could care less about them. They get too much <laughs> of our money anyway. So think, think win-win. There you go. What, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I wanted to add one more thing on uh, putting first things first. Uh, you know, we talk about a good accounting system and how you need to be organized. Uh, you know, otherwise your documentation is not going to be there. And then I wanted to also add, I can't tell you how many times, you know, we've met with someone who's had a great year. We go, we go through everything and we prepare everything. And then we say, okay, you owe this large amount in taxes, which is really not too bad considering, you know, how much money you made as a percentage of your net and everything. And they say, well, I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> and you say, well, you had a great year. <laughs> this is one of your, this is one of your largest expenses. And yeah. if you had to pay all of your fuel in one check at the end of the year, that would be in the back of your mind. Boy, would th it. Throughout the year. Uh, I mean, you have to almost think about taxes in, the, in a similar respect. And so you, you've got to put first things first and prioritize your spending. Such a, such a great point. And let's go back and tie that in. Um, you know, we, we say last year would have been the best time to start on this, but we can't go back so we can start right now. 
So when we talk about getting together with your accountant, do what you can for this year. More importantly, start planning for, I, I almost said next year, but no, we're planning for this year. We're, you know, we're in this year. This is the tax year you need to start planning for, not waiting till after the fact. And this is the perfect time to talk to your tax preparer. They, even if you're looking at a brand new client, I mean, if you have history on people, you can really tell them a lot about their numbers. But even if you're looking at a brand new client, if they sat down with you and said, look, I, I need to know roughly how much I need to be setting aside every week for taxes, you can do that for them, right? Certainly. Yeah, we look at we look at their structure. We look at the jurisdictions that they're paying tax in. Uh, you know, if they have any kind of special situations, and say, generally speaking, you know, out of every dollar of net income, and if we know enough about their business and their typical expenses, we can even say, as a percentage of your gross income, this is what you need to be setting aside. Absolutely, excellent, and and stay on top of it. You know, I, I, I'm, I don't like to make a lot of predictions because I don't like being wrong, but I'm going to predict that we're going to see a lot more tax problems for owner-operators and, and for a lot of businesses really going forward, but we're going to see it in owner-operators, and that's the group we care about. We have had over a decade of really good times in the economy for trucking. It, really, we haven't had a bad year since about 09. Um a lot of people don't know what a bad year looks like in trucking. Rates are way down. We're going to see more of what you just talked about, that people make it through the year. They pay the bills, they're still in business, but they have this big tax bill and they have no money to pay it. This, this problem is going to get worse. So this is a good time to think about this. Get to your tax preparer, figure this out. You, you have got to pay that tax bill and you've got to stay on top of it. Uh, Travis, when, when we're in business... You know, you mentioned your fuel bill. If you had to wait till the end of the year to pay your fuel bill all at once, that would be a tough thing to manage. Maintenance. You know, there's no shop out there that's going to let you bring your truck in all year, work on it, and then wait till the end of the year to pay the bill. And then once the bill has been established, still really not do anything for years. They just let it sit there. Isn't the IRS about the only creditor that doesn't really come after you and do much about all the money you owe them until until they do, I mean, they and then be, it will put you out of business and bankrupt you. That's right. I mean, they, 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 they just write letters. They, you know, notify you. They add penalties. They add interest until they get serious, and then they, you know, levy your property. And, and no other creditor would ever do that. Only the government is so inept that they allow, you know, millions of taxpayers to just run up balances over and over and over and they do nothing about it. No other creditor in the world would ever allow that. And we have to understand that that's not a good thing for small businesses. How, how many small businesses get in trouble over taxes? Right. Yeah, you get the snowball effect that you're mentioning where you can get into the habit of letting next year's operations fund last year's taxes. Good point. And so if, if you get into that and then you have a bad year following a good year, you could be in trouble. That's, that's what I'm afraid of this year. Um, you know, we, 
one of our listeners uh, actually works with us. Um, we go over his numbers a lot to help people understand what's possible and what numbers should look like. And we just a week or so ago went over his numbers for 2022. It is the highest gross revenue and the highest net revenue I've ever seen for a single driver on a single truck in 30 years of doing this. The high, it was incredible. He actually had a net revenue of over 300,000. One driver, one truck. I, the, the numbers for the last couple of years in trucking have just been insane. And I'm afraid of exactly what you just said. Even though people had a great year and there was lots of money, if they didn't pay their taxes, the odds of them having fifteen or $20,000 sitting around is probably slim to none. And, and now we're, we're having, right. we're starting into a bad year. So now where are you going to get that money to try to pay your taxes in arrears? You've got to stay ahead of this stuff. And what many taxpayers don't realize is that the IRS already levels, levies a penalty on you if you just pay your tax at the end of the year. They want their money evenly throughout the year. And you have two options to really pay it evenly throughout the year. You can have it withheld from wages, or you can make quarterly estimated payments. Uh, there's a little bit of a hack. If you're an S-corporation uh, owner-operator, and you pay yourself a W-2 wage, it's better to pay it in wages as opposed to paying quarterly estimated payments. Because with the quarterly estimated payments, they look at the date you paid them, and what percentage of the total, and it needs to be quarterly and even throughout the year. And if, and if it's backloaded, then they consider a portion of it to be late, and they will levy some interest. It's not a huge number, but it's, it adds up. Uh, whereas if it's withheld from wages, they consider it even throughout the year. That, that, they don't do that math on when it gets withheld. It's such a great point, and that's how you have ours set up. For, for the most part, um, the, the payroll check that, Lisa and I take each week out of the business, we see none of that. It all goes to taxes. That's just how we have it set up. Right. That's also, that's covering all the tax on our payroll and then attempting to cover as much of the tax on the profit as possible. And it just happens all year. It just happens every week when payroll gets processed. And it's just so much easier to do that, which, which to me is just another advantage of having the S-Corp, the taxes we're going to save, but the ability to set it up through payroll and not have to focus so much on quarterlies or worry about, you know, a penalty and, or interest at the end of the year. So uh, one more thing to, to set up, take some time with your tax preparer and set up some way of paying these taxes ahead of time. Do not get behind on these. Uh, let's go to habit number five. But if someone does, oh, go ahead, Travis. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say, if someone does find themselves behind, it says, oh, it's too late. You know, not necessarily. You know, you can withhold more from your wages and they don't penalize you for paying more in the back half of the year, having more withheld from wages in the back half of the year. They treat that as even throughout the year. So you can catch up without Excellent. a penalty when withholding your taxes from wages. Excellent. Great tip. All right. Habit number five. I always struggle with this one in every situation. Um, seek first to understand than to be understood. I, I'm not sure that this is a big problem in taxes. Um, most of us realize we don't know enough about taxes 
uh, to really go to our accountant and try to tell them how to do it. But seek first to understand, which means go to your tax preparer, give them all the, the information you can, and then sit back and listen and ask questions. Don't, don't, Listen more than you talk in this situation. Really, in every situation, we probably should all get into that habit of listening more than we talk. I, I like the reminder that uh, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. We should probably listen twice as often as we talk. Uh, I have a problem with that, obviously, because I talk for a living. But uh, I, I, I do try to practice this habit a lot more often. Try to understand first rather than just constantly make our point. So build that relationship with your tax preparer, make the appointment a couple times a year, sit down, talk about this stuff, uh, which leads us right into habit number six, which is one of my favorites all the time, which is synergize. You know, that a lot of people, we've heard that word, we don't really know what it means, but to, to synergize means that when we work together on things, the gains can be exponential, not linear. Or, you know, we could say it as sometimes when you synergize one plus one equals three, not two. We're able to cre create something more when we synergize with other people. Uh, and, and we can apply this to a lot of things. But what we're talking about today, asking questions, talking to your tax preparer, coming up with plans, being proactive, all these other things really comes down to this last piece, which is synergize, which is what we're all doing together here today. I think you can look at habit five and six kind of similarly when it comes to taxes. I think that it's important for a, uh, for a business or a taxpayer to kind of understand their relationship with the IRS, their relationship with tax laws, and you know where the IRS is coming from in their enforcement of those laws. And that kind of gives you an idea of, okay, there are laws that are voted on by Congress for a reason. They're voted on by Congress to encourage certain behaviors there's nothing wrong with taking advantage and engaging in those encouraged behaviors, right? Taking advantage of the tax breaks that are out there. And the IRS, it's good to understand their point of view. You know, how many people do they have? What is their, uh, you know, what is their job? They're trying to uh, enforce compliance. They're looking, first and foremost, they're looking for cheaters, right? They're looking for fraud. They're looking for someone, they're not necessarily looking for someone who's made a mistake or they're not trying to, to hassle you per se. They're looking for fraud, number one. And so if you can prove, number one, to the IRS that all of my expenses, all of my deductions are legitimate, I have records, I'm not making anything up, that will go a long ways to getting them on your side just to begin with. And so if you can understand uh, where the IRS is coming from, what their job is, what they're trying to do, you can make your life easier as someone who's, who can be adverse to the IRS, right? Great points. Yeah, a a absolutely. I love that one. So uh, synergize, work together, be proactive, create plans. All of these things matter. The other good thing about this, it, 
This is only hard one time. The very beginning, just getting started is the hardest part. Once you go through this process in the beginning, and then, like I said, you know, you should probably meet with your tax preparer twice a year. That's not much of an investment into a business. Two meetings a year uh, with so much potential to make things better, to pay less tax, to stop all the worry, to know that you're, you've got this handled ahead of time. Just, just bite the bullet and get this done once. You know, habit number seven, um, I, I practice this all the time in all areas. And, and this isn't one you have to spend a lot of time on when it comes to taxes. But habit number seven is sharpen the saw. And what that means is you are your most important resource. And you are a, think of yourself as a tool, as the saw, and you've got to keep your tools in good shape and good condition. They, they need to be sharp and well taken care of. And that's how we have to think about ourselves. And that's what sharpen the saw really means. It means take care of ourselves, um, keep ourselves healthy and sharpening the saw also is that constant kind of never ending improvement idea. And, and when it comes to taxes, it's not like you've got to do this constantly, but you should probably pay attention to the news and, you know, when you see headlines about taxes, read them. If you think it might apply to you, pick up the phone and call your tax preparer that you now have a relationship with and say, hey, I read this thing about taxes. Uh, does this apply to me or not? Is this something I should be paying attention to? And, um, you know, sharpening your the saw and keeping your skills sharp around accounting and understanding your numbers. You know, we... We talk about accounting primarily because of taxes, because people have to. You know, sooner or later, if you don't pay your taxes, they, they may allow you to get away with it for several years, but sooner or later, you're going to have to do it. So most people only deal with these numbers because they have to with taxes. Sharpening the saw in this case also means there's another huge reason to understand these numbers and do the accounting all throughout the year, is because that's how we score our business. That's how we know whether what we're doing is really working. I, I see so many business owners that work so hard in their business, but never put any effort into working on their business. And this is a case of work on your business. Start to understand your numbers. You're not going to learn them overnight, but you've got to start looking at them get that profit and loss statement. And here's another time to build that relationship with your tax preparer, your accountant. Um, Travis, if somebody was using our software, QuickBooks, and they came to you once a year and they get their tax return done, you could also sit down with them and help them understand the numbers in their accounting, right? Of course. And that's what they should be doing. They, they should be understanding the numbers. And if they don't use that asset, use that relationship, spend a little bit of time with your tax preparer throughout the year. And if you follow this plan, you're going to pay definitely hundreds, probably thousands of dollars less. You're not going to worry about your taxes all the time. It's not going to be this big a hassle, you know, to get everything together at the last minute. Uh, and then find out you've got this big tax bill and, and you're behind. Um, I, I, I would probably say, and I know there's some statistics out there. Um, I think this is the number three reason owner-operators go out of business. 
Um, first one is cash flow, which if they would get this part under control, their accounting and their tax returns, they would have a better cash flow situation. Second, I think, is health issues. We talk about that all the time. Um, third, though, I think taxes end up really hurting a lot of people in business. What do you think? Yeah, it would not surprise me in the least. I, I would also add, Kevin, you know, it's a lot to ask a non-tax person to, it's not a lot to ask uh, for them to kind of be aware of the news, uh, but, you know, they're not going to sit around and watch C-SPAN <laughs> and the latest tax uh, <laughs> negotiations in Congress, et cetera. And so I think it's important for them to have a network where a mentor, uh, people in the industry who are knowledgeable that they can have discussions with, where things can come up. Hey, I heard from a friend of mine in a similar situation to me that there's this new thing that's, that's possible. What about this? And then they can ask the experts. Great advice. I, I, I love that, you know, and, and we try to encourage that kind of thinking and, behavior in our, our websites, our social sites, Trucking Tribe. Um, we have a, an EA and a tax preparer who answers a lot of questions in there and helps keep us up to date on that kind of stuff. We bring you in on this show to keep us up to date. We're going to do more of that. So yeah, that's a really good point that, you know, building that network of, of resources around this. And it's also why we encourage people to call in. We do review you know, profit loss statements and business reports right on the air. You try to get people to talk about it more and pay attention to it more. Uh, what do you say we take some calls? Let's roll some calls. All right, let's do that. So phone lines are open. Travis and I could talk about this stuff all day long, but we want to focus in on what's important to you. And we do that with questions. If you've got a question, we'll tackle it. Pick up the phone right now and jump in. 855 855- Nine five zero three eight three five. We're going to head off to Utah. Chris, welcome to the program. Chris, are you there? Huh. Well, let me try this. Let me put Chris back in the queue. Angie, could you check that line for me? Um. So, Travis, I'm looking at, uh, we'll try to get Chris in here. I'm looking at the the notes here, though. He wants to talk about 179 with the lease purchase. We talked about this a little bit, uh, I think, on our last show. Let's see if we're getting Chris back here or not. Um, you know, this is a problem in our industry. These, these lease purchase, you know, plans of we're, we're talking about equipment that now costs north of $200,000. So this is a big issue. And this idea of is this a purchase and do we depreciate it? Or is this a lease and do we take payments? And there isn't real clear definitions on some of this stuff. It's not always black and white. Ideally, I think you would probably agree we prefer to use depreciation and be able to use things like the Section 179 deduction. But part of the problem I've seen in this industry is that the it's so easy for these guys to start these lease purchases. 
and sign on the line. And now they control this $200,000 piece of equipment. But they're also, most of them are what they call walk-away leases. They're designed so, oh, just give this a shot. If you don't like it, just walk away. Well, people don't realize the disaster that's left behind when you start a business, have this expensive asset that you started to depreciate, and then you just walk away from the whole thing. What do you think about that? Yeah, there are, uh, there are some bright line rules and tax when it comes to a lease as to what constitutes what they call an operating lease, which is kind of where you just deduct, it's treated as a lease. You just deduct the, the lease payments as you go versus a capital lease, which uh, in the tax world is treated as a purchase. Yeah, it may be a lease, but due to these terms, if it's so much percentage of the useful life of the asset or the payments constitute so much percentage of the cost of the equipment, uh, that's really in essence a purchase. And so there are some rules that we can look at and say it's one or the other. Uh, and in the trucking industry, it is probably advantageous to have a, a capital lease to give you more flexibility with depreciation. You see the opposite when it comes to, you know, like a law firm with uh, passenger vehicles because they have more stringent rules with depreciating them. But uh, yeah, it can cause a problem if you have written off an asset that you've not yet paid for, right? Yeah. And that's Taking what, a deduction that you don't really deserve. Right, right. So, I, well, I think we've got Chris back. And since his question was about this, let's bring him in and we can talk about his specifically because there are so many variables in, in questions like this. Chris, we, we got you this time. Yeah, stupid canyons in Utah. There we go. <laughs> what can we help you with today? Yeah, so the last time Travis was on, you, the, the topic had got brought up about the prospect of potentially using Section 179 with a lease purchase. And when I bought this truck, my expectation was it was a finance, and I didn't realize it was not until it was signing day. And I just went ahead. I went ahead with the lease purchase. Um, it is a third-party thing. It's not through the carrier. Um, <clears throat> but... Part of the reason why I bought the truck in the first place was for the 179 deduction this year, which was my, my personal best year ever. Um, but I was just curious how that works, and is that some you know is that actually something that can be done? Travis it can Lund. be done. Yeah, you get, should take. Yeah, you should take the contract to your CPA and say, "I've entered into this lease. Does it qualify for capital lease treatment?" so that we can accelerate the depreciation, if that's what you're looking for. Yeah. So yeah, the because answer, it Chris, was, is it... Because it was written up as a lease, yeah, because it was written up as a lease, there isn't an interest portion of the payment to be able to, to se separate out. Um, but I believe the, my understanding was from your, um, your previous visit to the show was that the contract since the interest is deductible and the principal would normally be deductible as depreciation that they can still be used together essentially, I guess. Um, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It depends on how long you're on the hook for these payments. 
it's and a, how much the payments 50, are as a it's, yeah, it's a fifty-four month term. And okay. the uh, the finance company guy that I was dealing with said that it works out to roughly thirteen percent if a person was to calculate it as a true loan. Thirteen percent interest. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, I'd say there's a pretty good chance that that's going to qualify as a capital lease. Talk to your CPA and take take that lease contract in with you, and you should be able to get a good answer. Okay. <clears throat> well, I guess I'll have to listen to the replay in order to catch the parts of this conversation that occurred after I didn't respond the first time you tried to bring me in, so uh, I think that's all I had. Got it. Okay. You, you didn't miss too much, but the, the answer here really is that the, the answer itself is in that contract. Um, it, it's in how that contract is written and how we interpret that. And um, so that's why the solution here is you've got to talk to your tax preparer, go through that. Now is the time to do it. Um, actually it would have been better to do it last year while we're Although in this case, it really doesn't matter. I mean, you signed the lease. Now we just have to figure out how to deal with it. Let's uh, let's go to Florida. Tony, welcome to the program. Morning, Kevin. Tony here from I Hate Brokers Trucking. I mean, uh, just kidding. Not today. There you um, go. I have a question about uh, solar panels. Uh, and the reason why I'm bringing this to your attention is how big of a blunder have I made by, by ordering these, uh, this solar roof? Now there's the, the government payback on them now of, of 30%, I guess. And my accountant said that you don't make enough money to realize that, to make it worth it. But if you run it through the trucking business, you do. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think what your CPA is probably getting at is there are two different types of credits when it comes to solar panels. There's a residential-related credit, which is 30% of the cost plus the installation cost results in a non-refundable tax credit. So if you spent $100,000 on solar panels and the setup for these solar panels on your house in a residential setting, not a business setting, but just residential, then $30,000 is your tax, your federal tax credit. And that $30,000 can be used to offset your income tax and it doesn't get refunded. And so you can offset your income tax each year and carry the remainder forward until it gets used up or until the credit is to be repealed. But I thought they just kicked it forward several more years. So you should be safe from that. But it doesn't give you, they're not, it's not going to increase your refund, right? It's only going to get your tax down to zero. So that $30,000 might not be realized right away. Now, there's, there is a bigger benefit if you uh, buy solar panels uh, with relation to your business. If your business buys the solar panels and uses them for business purposes, you still get the 30% credit but you're also allowed to depreciate a portion, typically 85% of the cost. So you can kind of double dip benefits there. There's more benefits in a business setting than there is residential. So he's probably looking at that saying, well, hey, with the additional depreciation, maybe there is 
enough benefit to make it worth it. It's the 30% credit is still non-refundable. That that is going to flow down. I imagine it's a flow through business, but uh, it's still going to result in that same non-refundable credit that gets carried forward and only taken against tax. But you're also going to have depreciation on those panels. Yeah. And uh, thank you for that. Just to complicate matters a little bit, he wasn't a CPA and he flat out, first of all, said, don't do it. It's, you're not going to get your money, first of all. Um, what he might have meant is, unless I run it through the business, because uh, it's my parents' house, actually, but I'm uh, third on the quitclaim deed, so I actually do qualify. I can run it through the business and get the credit because I'm on a quitclaim deed, so there's that. But I, I guess you're saying it will make sense if I run the numbers through the business and pay it out of the company uh, coffers there. Uh, it's just what you're saying. I'll get the 30%. It just might be over a couple of years. Well, I mean, for it to come through the business, what I'm talking about is it has to be used in the business operations, right? Not just, not just we're going to use business funds to pay for it. That's where we can get the additional benefit. If you're just using business funds to pay for it, then those business funds are kind of treated as a personal draw. And then you're going to be, you know, uh, your credit's going to be the same as it would be, you know, personal on the personal. Not sure I understand that, but uh, so are you saying I'm making a huge blunder here? Well, Tony, I think what I think he's saying is panels. the way you described it, this is your parents' house. You're on a quick claim deed. There's, there's no business use of the solar panels here, so there's no way to justify a business deduction. Does that make sense? The business, business deduction, uh, you mean off of my taxes and I cannot receive the 30% uh, help from the government. So let me try to summarize. If you take this as a personal tax credit, you can certainly do that. It exists. It's a 30%. It's a, what they call a non-refundable credit. You can use it to get your tax to zero, but if there's leftover, that gets carried forward. The advantage to doing it on the business is you still get that 30%, but then you get to depreciate it. It's a business asset. But what we're trying to say is in your case, this isn't a business asset. So your only choice is to take the personal tax deduction or credit for the solar panels. We're not sure why your tax preparer mentioned it on the business because you don't qualify for that. I see. And that might be why he said, uh, just no way, don't do it. Um, but I don't well, mind if it takes 30 years to, uh, to get it back off the personal. They need this to keep them alive in the hurricane. They don't even know how to plug in a generator. So that's why I did it. Plus savings on the uh, electricity. So I don't yeah. mind that. Just as long as I'm not completely losing all of my money. Yeah. Tony, uh, on solar panels, I think it's important to realize, yes, there's a tax credit available. That basically gives you, at most, in a personal setting, a 30% discount on the project. And that 30% that discount may not even be immediate, and it may not all even be realized. 
And so by far, the bigger question is, what kind of savings are you getting? And are those going to make it worth it with the remaining 70% costs? Yeah. And I took that into account. So, okay, we'll see what happens. Uh, I appreciate your help. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right, we've got lines open. If you want to jump in, 855 950 Travis, while we're waiting on a call, I'll give you my experience with it because I talked with you about this. Was this something we should be looking at? And um, I was looking at solar panels for a lot of reasons. One is a backup energy source. Uh, you know, we were going to install batteries for storage on it. And, um, you know, can we lower our electrical cost? And then, of course, the government throws in their credit, which I wish they would just get out of this business completely. Um, so when I tried to look at this, tried to calculate, is this going to work overall? The, the tax credit, like you said, the best way to think about this you're not getting money because you went out and bought solar panels. The best way to look at it is it's just a discount on the system. The, the government's going to help you pay for this and, and look at it as a discount. So you're just paying 30% less for the system. Now you can ignore the tax part. And does it make sense at this price? You have to pay this much money to get solar yeah. panels installed when it, are you going to see enough savings in your electrical cost that it makes sense? And the problem I keep running into is because the government's involved and they're giving these big tax credits, the, the whole industry becomes a disaster. There are so many companies out there just scamming people because they can get these installs done because people think they're getting this great deal. And I just keep reading horror stories about how little savings there turns out to be with these solar panels. Yeah, you got to be smart about, you know, what you're actually on the hook to pay for and what benefit it's going to give you. It's really that simple. I mean, you're getting a discount on your electricity, right? So you're, you're saving money on your electricity. Is that worth the net cash outlay after the subsidized uh, portion from the government on the tax credit? Exactly. And how long is that going to take to pay itself back? Yeah. At a certain point, it makes sense. At a certain point, it doesn't make sense. And so it's different depending on, you know, where I live, we have very cheap power. You know, some, some places it's, you know, four times that or more. So good point in, a, in an expensive place, it might, it might pay back a lot sooner. And so every situation can be different and the government and state governments also get involved. That's another factor to consider. A good point. There's the federal credit, but there's also some state credits and other programs. Speaking, yeah, like you say, it does get complicated and convoluted and it's not as easy as it might seem uh, at first. And I think that's part of where the problem comes in. You have these companies that take advantage of all the confusion they come in and they show people these, you know, crazy optimistic numbers about how much power they're going to generate with their solar panels. And they even talk about the power company is going to be buying electricity from you. And the, the, the problem is that their predictions are usually way off. They're, they're way overly optimistic and people find out that they're on the hook for this expensive system. Um, at some point, it's going to need maintenance and replacement. And it, it looks like in a lot of cases, they're just not 
even covering their own cost with this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, people need to do their own research. They've got to look at, I can't tell you how many times people come in saying, Oh, I should be getting a big refund because I put in solar panels. It doesn't always work that way. It depends on your tax situation. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you don't pay much in taxes, you've got a big tax credit carry forward, but that may not benefit you for a while. Yeah, exactly. You know, since we're talking about this and I, I just, started reading about this in the last week or two, you talked about state credits. So if we talk about electric vehicles and tax credits, which is another place I wish the government would just get out of, but, um, you know, we have this $30,000 credit for an electric truck, a commercial truck over a certain weight. Certainly the trucks we would be talking about here qualify a $30,000 federal credit. That's huge. Um, I think it's a disaster. I wish they wouldn't do it. But listen to this. California just put in place a $240,000 state tax credit for buying an electric truck. And then you get the $30,000 credit on the federal side. What's what's the initial cost of these trucks? That's part of the problem. It's it's. They just started selling them in the last month it is really when they sold the first commercial, commercially available electric truck. And it's actually a hydrogen electric. Um, and it's really difficult to get pricing on these things. We're, we're I don't think any of these electric trucks are going to sell for anything less than about 250000 Some of them might be up around 400000 well, I guarantee you the price has, gone, has just gone up. Exactly, right? because of these giant credits. It's such a mess when the government does this. Yeah. All right. Before I get on some sort of anti-government rant, we should probably go to the phones and find out what's on Dave's mind. Dave, welcome. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I just got a, it's probably a pretty simple question. Um, my wife and I, we usually file married um, joint form, but she's recently started. She's just working part-time. I, I drive for the largest retailer in the U S so my salary was just North of a hundred thousand. Okay. And she's probably only going to be around 25. Should I still do married jointly or should I do married separate? Because we don't, we don't have enough deductions. We always just end up taking the standard deduction. So what is beneficial just to say married joint return? Uh, so with married filing separate, married filing joint, that's a choice you can make each year. You don't have, you're not stuck to it one way or the other. Uh, typically when someone has a question about it, we'll run a scenario both ways and say, well, this year you'd save more doing it this way or save more doing it that way. And we can, you know, file accordingly. I would say based on what you told me, married filing joint is probably going to make more sense. And the reason is, okay. you're looking, you each have your own tax brackets when you file married filing separate. If your income is more than your wife's, then you're going to use up higher tax brackets. She's going to le- use, leave some of the lower tax brackets unused. Whereas if you file joint, then you combine your brackets together and then you use them together. 
And so you're not okay. leaving any lower brackets unused. So typically that's a better choice uh, in okay. your situation. With the standard deduction right. or itemizing, you have to coordinate when you're married filing separate and you have to file the same way. You can't have one person itemize and the other take the standard. And so right. you don't really get a savings that way anyway. Okay. But there can be. Right. And it's surprising. It's surprising that sometimes it does make sense to file separately. Typically, yeah. I see that when you have capital gains or uh, when, when one or both spouses is on Social Security, it can, it can make a difference. Uh, there might be some other yeah. you know, s- scenarios here and there. But generally speaking, married right. filing joint is going to be a better way okay. to go. All right. I'll just let them give me their standard deduction then because my deductions don't exceed those, and uh, I'll just keep rolling that way. Mm-hmm. Perfect. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Texas. Rusty, welcome to the program. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. I don't know. I I just turned the show on, so I don't know what y'all are talking about today, but I had an investment question. Okay. Um, Three or four years ago, you you laid out an investment plan um, using Vanguard, and you gave four... Uh, different uh, in- investment. Um, oh, I don't know what you the verbiage for entities or whatever. You had the bond market. You had the small cap. You had the right uh, higher higher growth and and then uh, the foreign investment. Uh, and I, so I, I immediately I, I was needing to start investing. So I immediately um, got that going. But I have not rebalance that portfolio in four years. Okay. And I, I assume that I've been, I've been into Tony Robbins book lately and it kind of just jogged my memory about that. What is, what do I, what is the terms I use when doing that? And what am I actually doing? Am I, am I rebalancing percentages in each category? There are a couple ways to look at this and I wouldn't get too deep into the weeds on on which way whether we're doing you know raw dollar amounts or percentages or so so here's what let's just talk about the the big picture here what we're trying to accomplish so let's say that we do have all four i i've made recommendations anywhere from just doing this with two different funds or up to four different funds let's say we're at four So in the beginning, we just split it equally. We're going to put 25% of every contribution into each fund. So if we have $500 we're going to invest this month, we divide it up equally. 25% goes into each one of those four funds. And that's the the balance we want to maintain. We want those funds to be 25% of our total investment. Well, what happens over time is they grow at different rates. You know, the S&P 500 had a couple of great years, really good returns. Um, The bonds weren't doing quite so well. Now bonds are starting to show a little more movement. So what happens over time is we get out of whack. We're not at 25% anymore because one, they're, they're growing at different rates. Some of our investments in some years are going to lose money. So now all of a sudden we're four years out and you just look at your accounts and say, oh, well, wait a minute, I'm now 
60% of my money is in the S&P 500. Do I want to move that or not? You don't have to rebalance. It's totally up to you. But if you do rebalance, that that's what we would do. We would just go back in and we would move money from account to account to get us back to 25% in each account. Okay. So, I don't, I mean... That's not really market timing, I don't guess. If you, no, if it's you, not. If you look at it, I mean, is there a strategy that would fit today's environment? I mean, you you said the bonds are looking better than the S&P. Uh, that was the other one, that Vanguard 500. Um, but do you, so do you have a strategy for that? You know, looking, he, uh, depending on what the economy is doing or here's the thing when it, when it comes to investing, we're, we're always trying to use past data to predict what's going to happen. And all the commercials even tell you not to do that. You know, you, you can't use, well, you have to, it's all we have. So there is, we, we have opinions. We have, you know, our personal strategies, honestly, for me, um, in a situation like this, if I were still in the market, I would actually consolidate those uh, down to two accounts. I, I would consolidate right now down to the S&P 500 and the small cap fund. Okay, no bonds or foreign. I, yeah, I wouldn't do the the uh, EFA fund I sometimes talk about or the bond fund right now. Okay, so if I do that, um, am I paying a fee for those to be consolidated? You shouldn't. You, you in Vanguard, they're, they're, you're, all you're doing is moving money around. There, you should be in no load funds and no commissions, and you should be able to move your money around with no cost. Okay. Um, I've I've been into this Tony Robbins book. Apparently, a lot of these including his own app is not available anymore. Um, there's a lot of good information, but a lot of these things that he claims to be free in his book are not free anymore, at least. But I was interested in, in figuring out the, uh, the, the fees on each of my accounts. Do you know of a website or a way to determine that? You know, I wish I did. If if you say some of the tools he has in there listed as free aren't free anymore, that that's very possible. Um, those were the tools that I had always used. It, it, they do a hell of a job of hiding these fees and making them very, very difficult to figure out. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you have any idea what happened to his his app? He he touts that app over and over in his book and then it's nowhere to be found. I don't know what happened. I'll go back and see what I can figure out. You know, over the years, I've followed him for decades and I I know his heart's always in the right place. He's got great information. He has had a lot of problems with partners and, and companies and people seek him out and you know, getting associated with, you know, Tony Robbins as, as a business venture pays off for a lot of people. But I, I've seen a lot of his partnerships really go bad. Not 
And I, and I don't believe it's because he has bad intentions. I, I think it's the opposite. I think sometimes he's just too trusting. I, I've mentioned on the health side, his partnerships have been a disaster over the years. They have just been horrible. Um, I, I At the conference I was just at, there was a, a, a company there associated with Anthony Robbins. And I think he's going down the wrong path again on health. Most of his stuff around personal finance has been excellent. I, I'll go find out, you know, see if I can find out anything about the app, but I don't know what happened to it. Okay. Uh, one more. Why, why uh, at one time you mentioned these four categories four years ago, uh, I, you know, the economy was going and going, I'm assuming. Is that, is that the reason now you would consolidate that down to two or what's your strategy? Why do you say that? You know, I, I struggle with everybody's different. Everybody's risk tolerant is different. It's hard to give generic financial advice over the air like this without, and the same thing for Travis with tax advice. We try to give big pictures so you know what's going on. But then when it comes right down to each individual, there are so many variables. Honestly, if if I were just to look at this and say, historically, what would our best bet be? Honestly, put it all into the S&P 500 and be done with it. Over any 10-year period, it seems to outperform almost everything else. We throw these others in to diversify a little bit and take advantage of you know movement in other places. But over the years, I, I tend to keep putting in less, not more. Um, that's why now I'd, I'd say throw it in two accounts. Although for a lot of people, if all you wanted to do is just open one account, put it all in the S and P 500, it's kind of hard to argue against that. Mm-hmm. And are these, uh, in the Tony Robbins book, he distinguished between, uh, index funds and mutual funds, yes. which I thought they were. I thought they were synonymous. But. So here's the, the best way to think about this. All index funds are mutual funds, but all mutual funds aren't index funds. Does that help? Uh, well, I mean, that make, that, that's, a, that's a good rule. How do I know what so, is what? Well, it will tell you that it's an index fund. And here's why we would choose an index fund. Maybe that's more of what you're looking at. But but I just wanted to clarify that all index funds are mutual funds, but not all mutual funds are indexed. Here's the difference. Uh, An indexed mutual fund is not managed because it follows an index. So in a managed mutual fund, we have a fund manager who makes a gazillion dollars a year normally, and they have to decide, we're going to buy more Tesla stock and we're going to sell more Ford stock. We're going to dump Microsoft and we're going to buy Twitter. Somebody has to make those investment decisions. That gets expensive. They pay those people a lot of money. The Mm -hmm. money to pay them has to come from somewhere. Then they have a whole team of researchers and all those people have to get paid. And that adds up the fees. We're going to pay fees to have all these people manage this account. Well, that would be fine if it worked. But we have all the statistics. 90% of the managed funds 
perform worse than the S&P 500 year after year after year. So why do we keep paying all these mm -hmm. people to manage funds when they can't even beat this fund that isn't managed? Let, let's just put our money in the one that's not managed. It just follows the index. The S&P 500 index fund holds all 500 stocks that are in the S&P 500. And occasionally, if one changes, which it happens once in a while, a company will drop off, they'll replace it with some other company. The mutual fund makes that adjustment, moves on. So there, there's much less cost in managing an index fund. And if they didn't perform as well, we, we would say, well, just let's, let's spend the extra money to get a money manager. But why would we spend money to get a money manager when the results are worse? And yet people keep doing it year after year after year. It's ignorant. I guess. It, it really is. People, people know they need to invest, but they just, it's, it's like you said, it's complicated and there's a, a lot of people pulling the wool. But that, uh, so I'm 45 and I'm not, I'm, I'm only doing 250 a month. So I'm, I'm not even maxing out my IRA. Uh, does that change anything in what you just told me? No, really doesn't. Um, you've got plenty of time. So, you know, if, if you wanted to pull back, you know, we're, we're in for a couple of rough years in the market, I'm pretty sure. Some people are predicting a decade. Um, I think they're starting to call 2020s the lost decade when it comes to the market and investing. Um, I, I well, wouldn't I, see a I problem with that. pulling back uh, just consolidate all the money into the S&P 500 and then just keep investing. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will take a look at that. You said the other one that you might think about was the, the small cap. Uh, yeah. I, I might do 50, 50 into a small cap and the S and P. Okay. Uh, those are, those two are by far what has grown the most. And over the last four years. So one of the things I think may happen is they may also pull back the most. That That's not uncommon. And and what that, so why we're consolidating back into those is that that's going to create even more of an opportunity. We're going to be buying those funds on sale. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Uh, let a hey, uh, Travis, you still okay on time? Yeah, I'm okay. Okay. Um, we're probably going to wrap this up here in a little bit. We've got another call. We're going to grab it. Uh, we're going to go to Washington. Don, welcome to the program. Morning, Kevin. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. What's on your mind today? I believe you have a 2022 business report in front of you. I do. All right. Let's look at some numbers here. Um, the first one that jumps yeah, out Yeah, I wanted to is, give this as... Is, um, when did you decide to work part-time? Uh, actually, uh, about April, we decided to uh, slow down a little bit and literally took two and a half months off this year. Oh, congratulations. Um, 94,000 miles. Uh, nice, easy yes. year. But boy, the, the numbers look good. Um, yeah, I wanted to I wanted to share them just to show what a leased driver can do. You know, we, we heard Matt's numbers and they're fantastic and I, I would love to be there, but as a leased driver, I don't believe that's totally possible. No, but these numbers are incredible. So so don't sell yourself short on these numbers. Um, 
you know, being leased to a company allows you to take that kind of time off and, and you have less responsibility and less work you have to do. And so there, there's always the trade-off, but these numbers are incredible. So let's just go over the, the big picture. Um, 94,000 miles, roughly at $3.19 a mile, all miles. That's a fantastic number. Um, all of your expenses, Correct. Um, which in this case actually include your wages, the way you're doing your report, you show your wages, which is, is fine uh, either way. Um, even with wages of, uh, it comes out to about 59 cents a mile. So what you're paying on wages, all of your expenses are $1.63 a mile. So if we were to take out wages, your true operating expenses are just over a dollar a mile. And your net, technically, your net is your $1.55 plus the 59 cents. So Correct. netting over $2 a mile, that's just, it, those are incredible numbers. Yeah, and, you know, just so people know, I mean, you know, I am leased to a carrier, a large carrier, the, the star of all lease carriers. There you go. And uh, every, everything's negotiable. If you look at my fuel surcharge, you can negotiate fuel surcharge. Good point. You, know, you, right. can nego- you can negotiate accessorials, you know, and, uh, you know, my cost for fuel this year was lower than my fuel surcharge. Fantastic. That what a what a you know, Travis, this is kind of what I was talking about. We we like when owner operators call in and we go over numbers, we see what's possible. Um, we've never in 30 years that I've been doing this seen numbers like this. I mean, it's just been an incredible, incredible couple of years. Um, the one thing we need to keep reminding people about that, though, is they need to really get on their tax return now, right? How many people do you find that are surprised that their tax bill is so high, even though they know they made a lot more money? <laughs> That's right. Right, they know better than anyone how much money they made, and yet it's still still a shock. It is. It's understandable in in one way because you get into higher rates, and so you think, well, I made double the money. I pay, I'll pay double the tax. Not always true. Good point. Very good point. Could be much more than double uh, because of the the progressive uh, tax rates. So, Don, thanks for sharing fantastic numbers. I mean, that, that's a uh, a great comparison of of what you were able to do being leased to a carrier and taking a couple of months off. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure we just came through the the best couple of years we're going to see for a while. Uh, calls are starting to pile up. Let's go to Texas. Fred, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin and Travis. How are you guys doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Happy Happy New Year. So uh, I have a friend who is, I think, making a big mistake. He's been out of work for a hip replacement, and now he's, his brother-in-law is talking him into running a hot shot for 25% of the profit on a 1099. And this guy has no risk tolerance, no business experience. He's been a driver, and he was in the Navy for all his life, so he's never really had any uh, any uh, business experience. And I'm telling him about potential tax liabilities if he goes with a 1099 
And I want to maybe if Travis can give me some kind of general insight, I can even let him listen to the answer uh, just to give him, you know, so he understands what he can potentially be liable for. He doesn't own any of the equipment. He's just going to drive his brother-in-law's pickup truck with a trailer. So, yeah, if you're a 1099, an independent contractor, that means you're operating independent as your own business, essentially. Correct. So you're not afforded, you're not afforded the protections that employees are when it comes to workers' compensation, those types of things. And then when you look at taxes, you are considered self-employed. So you are allowed to deduct your business expenses, of which you will not have many, given that he's not, uh, providing equipment, he's just basically providing his own time, and so you're you're gonna he's gonna pay two taxes on this income. He's gonna pay self-employment tax, and he's gonna pay income tax. Self-employment tax is the Social Security and Medicare taxes that we all pay as employees, but it's both sides. It's the employer and the employee side, and so it's roughly 15% of his net earnings. And then his income tax will be determined by the rest of his income, whether he's married, whether his spouse has income, et cetera. And it'll, it'll be taxed at his marginal tax rate on his income tax return. So if he's, if he's at a 24% uh, income tax rate because he has other income or his spouse has income and he adds this income to it, he's going to pay 24% income tax and about 15% self-employment tax. He's going to be roughly 40%. And so that's only on his net earnings. He gets to deduct his expenses first, but he may not have many of those. So the tax rate can jump up thinking about this as well. Yeah. Yeah. He he has a retirement from the Navy and his wife does work. So I don't know where that's going to leave him as far as what bracket he's going to be in. But, you know, I'm just trying to give him some constructive advice and some educated advice. So he makes, a decision, not because it's his brother-in-law, but because it's, you know, conducive to his living situation. Sure. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much, sir. I, I'm going to yeah. see if he'll log in and listen to this. But uh, the other thing to consider would be, yes, you know, in your state, if you're considered in business, then you might need to register with that state. There might be filings that are required in your state. And so there might be some regulatory headaches that he is going to be responsible for taking care of as someone who's in business for himself. I got you. Yeah. He lives in Oklahoma. I don't know what the rules are over there. Hey, Fred. Yes, sir. Is this truck already being operated or is this going to be a new startup? You know, Kevin, I, I, everyone thinks they're going to make a ton of money. Uh, his brother-in-law is some kind of roofing business, and he decided to do this with another guy. And that guy bailed on him just recently. And my friend's kind of getting roped into this between his wife and his brother-in-law. And I'm like, why don't you just go back to where you were working? He was making 70 cents a mile, $30 an hour. Uh, I mean, just go back to doing what you were doing. I I, I I can almost guarantee he's not going to make 40 cents a mile at this. I know. I know. I, I, you know, but all you can do is educate people. You can't tell them what to do, unfortunately. Yeah. So, I, I, um, 
Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you can lead them to knowledge, but you can't make them think. So um, I, I, exactly. I can almost guarantee and, you know, he, this is going to be a disaster. My, he, he respects my decision because everything I've told him, he wanted to be an owner-operator about a year ago, and I told him, why don't you take your business course, take, you know, to, and he hasn't done any of that, so, but he hasn't, you know, so he does want to, does want to be his own boss at one, at some time, but, uh, you know, time and, and, and drive, I think, are his nemesis. Yeah. So, and yeah, that's, this, you know. This is going to end badly. Right, right. I believe so, too. So, uh, All right. I do appreciate that, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you next week. You guys have a great day. Everybody out there, Happy New Year. Thanks for the call. Hey, hey Travis, um, yes, you know, I haven't done a lot of tax work in several years, but I remember so many of these screwy deals where I, I, so many weird combinations of, well, we're going to call you an independent contractor, but I own the truck and you're going to pay for fuel and I'm going to pay for maintenance and you're going to pay for parking. And I'm going to, and it, it is such a disaster. And it, the one thing that is pretty common with all of them, when, when they start off like this, none of them last. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a big risk for the employer. It is. Not so much for the person taking on the job. The employer is running the risk of of being reclassified. And, you know, once once that happens, you know, then the IRS is up in your business. There's all kinds of back taxes with penalties and interest. And you just you just don't want to go there. Yeah. You know, the biggest risk. I, I will say for the the person taking this position or job or contract or whatever we want to call it uh, is what we've talked about already in that they, they may work all year. They may work through this and they make some money and then, you know, tax time comes and they haven't paid anything. And, and all of a sudden they've got oh, this yeah. big tax bill. And, and it's almost worse than the guy who bought a truck and ended up like this because they just don't have the gross revenue to, to kind of make up for this. I, I see a lot of, I, I would say that's their biggest risk is that the longer this works, the, the worse off you may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're paid kind of like a company driver, right? Whereas someone who's, in, who's legitimately in business for themselves is able to negotiate a higher rate. Exactly. Because they are the one putting putting forth all the inputs. Yeah. All right. Let's uh let's go to Texas. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. What's on um, your mind today? Money. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, I I asked the head dispatcher at the company I'm leased to, I asked him the other day, I said, You don't have to tell me names or truck numbers, I said, but how much did the highest grossing truck gross at this company? And he says, let me look it up. And he said, the highest grossing truck was just over $509,000. One truck, one driver. Wow. And then I know another guy at the company, and he, I was talking to him the other day, and he grossed just over 501000 but that's about the only numbers that these guys know. I know. They, they don't know how many miles they drove. 
exactly, they know roughly. But you ask them how much they spend on fuel. Oh, I don't know. But the guy, I only gross 351, and I don't pay as much attention to my numbers as Matt does. But the guy, the two guys that gross 500,000 and I gross 351, I'll bet you my net at the end of the day was as much, if not more, than what they were at. It, very possible. Yeah. And then the other thing we would look at is, and you said they don't even really track it or know it, but I guarantee you they worked a whole lot harder. Oh, yeah, these guys, these guys are over, they're 150, 160,000 miles a year. And you know, I was away from home last year for 225 days. So I tell them I'm the best part-time guy they got. <laughs> there you go. That's right. Those are pretty impressive numbers yeah. for part-time. Yeah, well, I'm pretty happy with it. So it, it averages out the I'm away from home for four and a half days a week. But Gotta like that. Sometimes sometimes I'll stay, like, I, I got the Saturday before Christmas, I got home, and then Monday morning I went into town and delivered my load. And then I went back home, and I didn't leave till February, uh, not February, um, the Tuesday after Christmas. So I was home from Sunday to Tuesday of the following week. So, but I'll guarantee those other guys they went to work. Yeah, absolutely. They got truck payments. You and know, they're they are they are leased to. Well, I call them leased to never own because a lot of these guys lease these trucks they actually never own them exactly yeah yeah no doubt all right great great numbers paul good stuff um you know i i I love that pattern that that's pretty obvious when you listen to the show the the people who have an accounting system call in and they've always got great numbers the people who call in and are struggling and complaining about rates never seem to have numbers there's a there's a lesson in there. Um, Travis, I think we're going to wrap this up for today. One of the things I, I wanted to get to, we could take just a couple minutes right now. Um, we're, we're into the tax season right now. The year's over. There's only a few things you're going to be able to do to impact your taxes right now. Retirement accounts, maybe about it. Um, it. It seems like there's been a lot of I don't even know how to describe this legislation lately. We've got all these spending bills. The government seems to keep passing hard to keep up with it. Is there any real tax law changes we should be aware of right now? Like what comes to mind for you as, as one of the things we might not be aware of that we should be maybe something new or something that's changed. There, there is with this just recently passed spending bill, I haven't had a chance to really dive into it yet, but I, I did just briefly look at it. And there are some major retirement contribution changes. Uh, I think that companies with more than 10 employees are going to have some required uh, enrollment uh, rules with their employees into 401ks and some, uh, and some contribution rules. And I, I wish I had everything in front of me and I wish I'd spent more time on it, but next time we can talk more about it if you'd like, but there is changes coming in that regard. 
I, I thought I saw some of the same stuff and that's why I, I brought it up. I saw there was some retirement account issues and I, same way, I haven't had time to really dig into it yet. Um, if So we are in tax season today, right now, right this minute is when you should be getting on this. Be proactive. Don't put this off. Um, if somebody wants to talk to you about taxes, a, a, a non-client, somebody, maybe they want to, you know, to have a tax return reviewed or want to talk to you about, you know, working with you this year, what's their first step? What should they do? Uh, I think we still have that questionnaire up there, don't we? Yep. On, on your website. Yep. So that would be the best that would place. Be the first step. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. And, uh, we're, we're available to help. You bet. Excellent. Fantastic. So speaking of helping Travis, you've been very helpful. Um, two great shows we have now on taxes and we'll, we'll get another one. Uh, you know, we'll certainly be conscious of your schedule going forward because the next couple of months are pretty crazy for you, but, uh, uh, we'll get you back when it works out for all of us. Great. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Always a pleasure, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Thanks for the help. We're going to wrap this up, uh, tomorrow. We've got, uh, let me go check. Um, looks like we have got uh, David Counts from Fleet Air Filters going to join us. Uh, Joel is confirmed and John is a maybe. So um, we'll probably talk a lot about mechanical stuff tomorrow. Probably going to be a real gearhead show. I want to uh, I want David to talk some more about some of the, the cars he's been building the last couple of years and see if there's any technology crossover that might work out. So um, we will see you back here tomorrow. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. <laughs>